Upstream with Jim and John, father and son conversations about discipleship and culture in the Pacific Northwest. I'm John. And I'm Jim. Today we're going to talk about a uh, a new way. I'm saying a new way. It's actually an ancient way. Mm-hmm. To, new, new to us. A new to us, ancient way to consider hardships, trials, and pain. Mm. So a way to look at that and a way to enter into it, into that experience uh, differently. I love it. Also, I just realized... I, it's probably something I inherited from my mom's dad. That mm. in, in the last episode, I did that a lot, and I just did it again to start yeah, this one. Yeah. So maybe I'll try and tone back the the mms. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Uh, before all that, it is story time. It and is, and it's your turn to tell a story. My turn. It is. So uh, what you got for us? Uh, we were thinking a, a good friend of ours just went to Washington D.C. Got me thinking about uh, our trip. My. And I think I've told the story of the trip before, but this is a specific part of it, mm-hmm. uh, where I was a, it was spring semester of my last year of high school. Okay. So you were a senior. Yep. 18. And uh, you were going as part of this leadership conference to Gettysburg, fly into DC, drive to Gettysburg and uh, perks of being a pastor's kid. I got to go along. So it was this week long trip, yeah. uh, uh, DC in the spring, honestly, really nice. I hear DC in the summer is miserable, so I was glad mm-hmm. to to miss that. Um, flew in that night, so kind well, of. Well, we did a, the red eye, yeah, all yeah. night long. Landed about eight or nine in the morning, as I recall. Yeah, had uh, breakfast with a guy who works at a church down there. I actually I don't fully remember who or what he did, mm-hmm. but anyway, point being, Gettysburg trip, which just to be safe, because I honestly can't remember if I've talked about it or not. I talk about it a lot in, in general because I I have I revere the trip so much. It was amazing. One of these days, we're there for a whole week, and we're at Gettysburg for, I guess, five of those days. Yeah, and so it's actually a leadership conference where they study all of the leadership dynamics and decisions that were made on both sides of the battle at Gettysburg. Mm -hmm. So you walk the battlefields, you actually do some of it on horseback, you fire muskets. Um, It's a really phenomenal behind-the-scenes look at all of the leadership dynamics during that battle, many of which actually determine the outcome it was crazy and it's a similar it's similar to like the the uh d-day thing where d-day decided the rest of world war ii gettysburg was the turning point exactly so that's not where the war ended but it was the decisive battle of the whole war it was really really incredible i'm really grateful for it but one of these days we go on the the horseback section you do Mm -hmm. this nice little thing these horses this is all they do. They they let people who don't know how to ride horses on these horses, and they do the same trail every day. So they're, it's almost like an amusement park ride. It's, it's very on rails. If you wanted this horse to leave the trail you're on, it probably wouldn't do it. Yeah, that, yeah, they're they're pretty disciplined. Yeah, and so they, uh, you fill out a form. You set, you put on your weight on the, on the form, and they assign you to a horse. <laughs> and uh, I've been this dimensions i've been these dimensions for a long time definitely since i was your 18. own physical dimensions yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so which uh, is what so, i mean let's just say no, we're like, not to use the lbs but how I'm tall six three six three i've been six three since eighth grade i think six three and stout stout that's that's the the polite way to put it the christian <laughs> way to put it <laughs> <Stout>. <laughs> 
So, uh, but but first ahead of us is our our great friend Chad Dickinson, who <laughs> <laughs> he's not. He was about five six. Yeah, you know, less stout, less stout. <laughs> <laughs> so he goes first. Well, and, and, we, and your horses are side by side. At the that, the funny part was was well, that you we, were side by side. Yeah. So, but you're also in the line. You can't see these horses yet. So he goes through and, and rounds a corner, and you just hear him going, "This is amazing." <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm one of the last people through. So I go through and and they put me on uh, a Clydesdale, man. This thing was massive. It goes by the name of Flash. Oh, really? Like, yeah. I forgot the horse's name was Flash. They named him Flash cuz he is ironically the slowest one. And the hit, the back of that horse was about my nose height standing full up. I mean, this this horse is monstrous. Massive big. and pretty old, I think. Not not um but he can carry some geezer, weight, but yeah. Yeah, so they throw me on Flash. He, ham- <laughs> he handles it like a champ. Yeah. And I look over, and Chad is on what looks like a hyena, basically. <laughs> it's this, this patchy, kind of wiry-looking thing. And he's probably three feet off the ground. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Chad, on his horse, his head is barely over the back of your horse. Right. <laughs> It was hilarious. And uh, and they had you side by side, so that just looked so funny seeing you, you know. Yeah. But Flash was awesome. Fla- yeah. Like a lot of these horses, again, being in the roles they were, they would kind of nip at each other's tails sometimes. Right. Or at the worst, they would try and nip the rider's leg because mm-hmm. they don't know you know, who the people are. Flash was just a champion. He, he You would have thought he was you know, going out to find food or something. I don't know. Yeah, like he was your buddy forever. Yeah. Uh, it was awesome. We walked right past this uh, barn with a big cannonball stuck in the chimney stock. Oh, yeah. I or, forgot. I don't yeah. Know what you it, just the chimney, I guess. But anyway, yeah. And... and it was it was great, very very fun trip and just a funny funny horse story. If I haven't horse, I sound like it's a horror <laughs> horror story for some people, I guess. But yeah, uh, it was great. That's awesome. That's a great memory. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's let's dive into uh, pain and suffering, uh, adversity, <laughs> trial. <laughs> Go from the horse story. Like, all right, cut the cut the yeah, nonsense. Yeah, no more nice guys. Yeah, but uh, adversity, hardship, trials. Yeah, and. Um, what happened was I was doing my daily reading, and I would say, let's just take this moment to affirm Bible reading as a daily discipline. It's probably the most, in my view, it's the most important basic discipline of a Jesus follower. Anyway, I'm reading my daily Bible reading. I use a reading plan, and I'm in Hebrews 12, and I come across this section about hardships and this key phrase. You can look up the verse there, what what mm-hmm. line this is, but it is. it says, endure hardship as discipline endure hardship as discipline it's talking about how we go through difficult times and to endure that as discipline and it goes on this conversation about how uh, a father disciplines his children and so the reason god is disciplining you is because you're his child and if he didn't discipline you you would be an illegitimate child yeah and that's uh hebrews 12 7 sorry i had to, okay. had to look for that one okay so chapter 12 verse 7 is this line the whole the whole chunk is a, a very fascinating perspective. So we're going to talk about um, this Hebrews twelve idea of when you're going through adversity, hardship, trials, to view that as discipline. Mm-hmm. So uh, right off the bat, John, what is that that idea? When when I say, hey, John, you know, if you say, man, my job sucks. I hate the, I hate my job. I'm having to work quadruple overtime it's not fun sure i don't think i'm getting treated fairly 
I want a new job and I can't seem to find one, blah, blah, blah. And I say, hey, John, endure hardship as discipline. What does that say to you? Um, on, and, and we talked about this before. I, I had that kind of knee-jerk reaction where um, I I feel like it's it, it seems uh, tricky to me, theologically tricky. Because because we've learned before this in in scripture that um, that uh, no no curse or terrible thing comes from God. All good and perfect things come from God. So so when someone says, "Why would God do this to me?" That's my oh, honest, okay. my my, yeah. my honest initial reaction is, "Well, God doesn't you know, God didn't create my hardship exactly. So why do I view it as hardship as, or as, di- discipline, as from discipline from God? From God exactly. Yeah. But I think what this is is saying, "Hey, you're in it, right? You're mm-hmm. you're not really." There's not an immediate exit strategy for you. View this as the way uh, Jesus viewed hardships, that this is actually, uh, and it says that Jesus viewed it with, with joy of what was to come after the hardship, from the hardship. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, utilize that and view it in kind of a, um, a utility kind of way, I guess. Okay, so let's let's read a little bit of the passage here that will kind of color what you're saying there. It says, uh, it says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves. He chastens everyone he accepts as a son. So verse seven, the next verse, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children for what children are not disciplined by their father. So, uh, so in your line of thinking there, John, okay, this adversity, this hardship, this trial didn't come from God, but I'm being encouraged to view it as discipline from God. Yeah. And I think, and, and it would be, it'd be interesting to know like the kind of the uh, exegesis for this, but the, the word discipline there, we view it as kind of um, as, as punitive, um, you know, as getting your child in trouble. Well, you happen to think, usually we think of when a father disciplines his children, he's punishing them. Right. We think of that as a corrective measure, but I don't think that's the use of this word. In fact, um, I'm going to look it up while we talk because I am curious now that you bring that up, uh, what this word discipline means. And it is... Uh, it means to provide instruction with the intent of forming proper habits of behavior. Yeah, it kind of makes me to think teach, of... To teach, instruct, to train. Almost like uh, exercising. Like it's like like uh, some, like it's it's building up. It is, it's, it's yeah. instruction. So, uh, so when, when you're going through hardship, consider this as a time and space where God is teaching, instructing, and training you. Yeah. And that, and that eliminates that kind of initial hesitancy I had in the beginning where I was like, well, you know, no, none of your, uh, no, no loss of yours or, or, or of that comes from, from God. So, so that eliminates that right off the bat. Yeah. And he goes on to say that, um, uh, this is, this is proof that God is treating you as a son Mm. because, um, if a son is not disciplined, he's not loved. He's an illegitimate child. Yeah. You think of, um, you know, a fatherless child, a home, a child in a fatherless home is not receiving the discipline of a father. Therefore, he's not receiving, receiving the training, the instruction, the equipping. And I like the word discipleship. Consider endure, endure hardship as discipleship from your father. Sure. Same because they come from the same root. So, so this is God discipling you. This is your father discipling you. And and it really, as a dad, it, it excites me. I wish I had thought more um, 
effectively early in my parenting years. It's one of the things, <laughs> one of the things your siblings, your older siblings point out is that you were parented by a totally different dad than they were. <laughs> uh, and I say, you know, they, they kind of say that complaining sometimes. And I say, well, I hope I was different because I was 22 when I was raising you and I was 32 when I was raising John. Yeah. So uh, hopefully I was a better dad, but I wish I had thought more intentionally younger about discipling my kids, taking that on as part of my job. And this is where this discipline is coming in. It's not punishment. He's, your father's not punishing you. He's he's using the pain you're in to disciple you, to teach you this is what happens. Life is going to be painful. Sure. You're going to hit walls you can't move. You're going to wish things weren't as they are. What do you do in those moments? And he's going to teach you, disciple you how to do that in an effective way. And, um, and it makes big big claims and earlier in hebrews too it's kind of uh not the suffering isn't the big theme of the book but um but one of the running themes is that jesus in his um in his suffering and his hardships uh was bettered as as a high priest it it made him uh or maybe maybe fulfilled uh a lot of his uh his qualities and so these are these are huge statements in a practical sense um can you help me out with with what viewing uh, a hardship as discipline might look like in an actual um, instance? Yeah, let, let's get there. But you brought up Hebrews too, so I, I whipped over there real quick. It says, In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that, that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation, Jesus, perfect through what he suffered. Mm-hmm. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are the same family. And um, that Jesus, though he was the son, this is Hebrews 5. Mm-hmm. Jesus, though he was the son of God, was uh, learned obedience from what he suffered. This is uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 5 and uh, verse 8. Son, though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation. So Jesus himself learned obedience to God by what he suffered. Jesus, the son of God, did not need to learn obedience. But Jesus, the man, the son of man, needed to learn how to obey God. So how do you learn how to obey? Being tempted not to obey. Having mm-hmm. opportunities not to obey. Making it where it would be more comfortable if you didn't obey. And we learn the power of obedience and we learn the fruitfulness of obedience by being obedient when we don't want to. Yeah. So Jesus learned obedience to God through his suffering and you will too. That's, that's kind of the idea I think of Hebrews 12, that you consider hardship as discipline from your father because he's teaching you how to uh, tough it out and how to be fruitful in spite of your pain, because it goes on to say, our earthly fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. Hmm. So as he's, uh, as he's dis- disciplining us through adversity, he's teaching us how to participate in his holiness. So some examples, if I'm a married woman, Two little kids. My husband decides he's not sure he wants to be married anymore. He's off running around with a pretty young thing that doesn't have any kids. 
and he's trying to decide if he wants to still be married. This is hardship for her. Yeah. And God, consider, endure your hardship as discipleship from your father, who's now going to teach you how to be obedient, how to pursue holiness, how to be fully God's in the middle of the most difficult thing you could ever go through. Man. So when you look at it that way, does that how how does that make you emotionally feel about the hardship, John, if you look at it that way versus um, looking at it like, God, rescue me. Yeah. God, well, fix this. I think the knee-jerk reaction there might be, where God, where are you right now? Like, like mm-hmm. what's going on? Um, when in the reality that w- that is an interactive process instead of instead of a um, com- maybe complaining is a harsh word because that is such a horrific scenario that it's hard to be like well quick you know quick complaining <laughs> quit your complaining <laughs> right <laughs> not like that but but as a um, as a I know you're here let me find you and see what you're trying to mm-hmm. tell me right now that kind of thing mm-hmm. instead of instead of assuming that he's not there to begin with right looking for the plan in this yeah I guess. Think of another example. If you're a if you're a dude on a job and you've been promoted a couple of times, life's going mm-hmm. good, and then all of a sudden there's a false accusation about you. A a jealous coworker accuses you of stealing something from work or cheating on your time or sure <clears throat> falsifying your expense report or somehow they are attacking your integrity and slandering you. Mm-hmm. This is a hardship. Endure that hardship as a discipleship moment with God so that he can disciple you for your good and so that you can participate in his holiness. It actually brings another layer of purpose in the hardship. Rather than just survival and escape, it also has another purpose, which is to perfect and refine me and make me a better person. Yeah, and I think one of the maybe uh, bigger themes of of uh, conversations that we've had like this is the really um, practical side to um, otherwise very big, not necessarily impractical, but more symbolic um, um, commands from God or, or word of, words of God. So like in the old law, it was, you know, these ceremonial washing things mm-hmm. to set apart his people, but it also saved them from things like foodborne illnesses and stuff like that. Right. And so in this way, it's, you know, in suffering, you become more like Jesus. And that's that's the big one. That's the big poetic one is that we suffer and are more like our Savior, which is our our life's goal anyway, to right, be more and more right. like our Savior. And in the more practical sense, in the same same command, the logical truth of it is that you grow stronger and and more disciplined. You become more of a disciple through these hardships, through suffering, if you do it through with, with God. Yeah, because you could argue, well, becoming more holy is on God's agenda more than it's right. on mine. I, I don't necessarily want to become more holy. Yeah. Uh, so how is it that this is for my good? Well, then you drop down to verse 11. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Mm-hmm. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. So what act, what actually happens is God disciplines you through your hardships is you learn to experience peace in non-peaceful contexts. You learn to experience peace when actually something's on fire. Sure. uh, Because you've been trained by it. So it is for your good. It's not just for your holiness, which is also for your good. 
But in case you're worried that this is selfish on God's part, it's actually for your good because right, it's, it's born out of love for, uh, from him as a father. It is. And so, <clears throat> you know, um, if you go through your very first hardship, you might be freaking out, mm-hmm. but you go through your third or fourth one and you're remaining calm. You have learned peace in the middle of adversity because you've been there before. And if you learned, you know, the saying is some people have 10 years of experience and some people have one year of experience 10 times because they don't learn from their experience. Sure. And so, uh, so this is so that you will be a person who has a harvest of peace in your future. That's a pretty amazing thing. Yeah. Yeah. So then the, the last, uh, the last two verses are therefore strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. Okay. So you're going to be wobbly. You're going to be unstable in adversity. Mm -hmm. Strengthen those make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Adversity can disable you. It can crush you. Or as you follow the discipline of your father, you can be healed. You can learn peace. You can be more righteous. You can be more uh, holy, which is belonging to God. There's a lot that can happen in the middle of your adversity. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, maybe, I don't know. You think about like with, with Job and the, the most, um, intense adversity, I guess, Oh man. uh, uh, he ends that greater than he started as both a, um, he was already blameless. Mm -hmm. The Bible's words, he was already perfect before God, um, at the time. Uh, and then he, he ends that story after persevering through all that, uh, in greater standing with God, greater earthly possessions. Um, yeah, he's stronger than he was before. Mm-hmm. He's wealthier than he was before. His kids are stronger, healthier, and more obedient. Well, new, the, new kids. Yeah, but they, right. they are people of character, of renowned character, whereas the kids he had before that were shysters. They were, they were very sketch. Uh, <laughs> The Bible's words. Yes. They don't mention yeah, uh, sketches Hebrew. Uh, they don't mention his wife in round two very much. You know, yeah. she, she was kind of a knucklehead in round one. I don't know really how it changed her, but almost everything in his life got better, more fruitful, more powerful after this incredible adversity. And I mean, his, uh, his friends who threw it are kind of, you know, trying to lead him astray. Uh, at the end of Job, he intercedes for his friends. He acts as actually the the high priest Jesus figure that we now know uh, to intercede for his friends between them and God because right. he's now holy too. So it, it it he improves their lives through his perseverance. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's it's crazy. It's like leveling up basically. Yeah. Now, what's interesting is to place this conversation about adversity as discipline in in the context it's in in Hebrews. So Hebrews eleven, which is right before this, is what they call the Hall of Fame of Faith. Mm-hmm. of these great people throughout history who have had great faith in God. It rules. It is, it is an awesome chapter. It's an awesome chapter. And then verse 1 of chapter 12. So the bridge between that conversation of check out all these heroes, the bridge from that to considering adversity to be disciplined from your father, the bridge is, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, those mm-hmm. people in chapter 11, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. So how do I run that race? Well, what, what hinders me and what entangles me? A lot of times those things come through adversity. 
Sure. So he's going to go on to continue to say, this is how you become those great people of chapter 11, is you let the father disciple you in the middle of your butt whooping. Because a lot of those people in chapter 11 went through horrific butt whippings. Yeah. And so uh, this is how we become great ourselves. That's how we become great witnesses is by letting the father. I like the word disciple us rather than discipline us. Sure. Uh, I think it would be. It's not inaccurate either. Right. It has it has less of the baggage of the other word. Yeah. And this word does mean to train, to teach, to encourage. So, uh, yeah, I think it's congruent to do that. And. Part of that, I think, is you, um, and and again, not speaking from personal experience, but like witnessing people who have even, to the extent of losing children or or uh, going through these this caliber of catastrophe, mm-hmm. um, you come out seemingly from the outside. It, it appears that you come out um, purified, like like a crucible. They they are um, maybe less distracted, you could say. Mm-hmm. So like throwing off the things that entangle their. Um, more focused they've been through they've they've met god in their their hardship so it's not you go from man i wonder if god's gonna get me this job or i wonder if god's gonna gonna uh, come through come through for us and let's get this house which is you know a big deal on the market to you know i've been with god in the middle of like the bottom of the in the valley of the shadow of death Mm -hmm. the, the the rock bottom bedrock of my life i've been there and he was there so having even just having that um memory and that experience I don't know. It's like uh, it's just like cutting through the the fat. I guess it's like, it's like it's the real. Yeah. I don't know. It, it's hard to it's hard to say. Well, it, it's it's like I I found him to be substantial right. in my adversity, so I know he will also be sta- substantial in my prosperity. Exactly. It's like it's like I know I know that now that he is not a cosmic Santa Claus, that he is actually the 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 father, the advocate. The yeah. yeah. I'm not praying to the air. I'm not I'm not on this on my own, just pretending God is with me. He actually is is there, and that's and that's when it's you know the and that's not here I guess, but the counted as blessings when you, um, you know when you face trials of various kinds. Yeah. Well, let's take a break right here and let's do our show and tell and our commercial. Then we'll come back and we're going to talk a little bit about what advice you might give someone who is in the middle of adversity. How do you help someone who's in the throes of the battle consider this kind of perspective? Awesome. I love it. And it is your show and tell this week. It is. And so I have this, uh, this item is uh, green. I, 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 I attempted to call this Irish green. Irish green. Uh, like the fighting Irish? Like, like the Dame. clover green. Green, like a four-leaf clover green. Okay. Is that uh, different than forest green? I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure what, what green I'm supposed to call this. Forest green does sound right. Okay. Uh, when I just, When I tell you where this color comes from, if you are familiar with this, you will instantly know the color of green I'm talking about. Okay. So um, I am a golfer, and the most one of the most um, well, it may be really the most fun golf event to watch is the Masters. Masters green. Yes, and gotcha. the Masters, you know, they have the green jacket that they wear yeah. if they win. And everything has that Masters logo, and it's white and green, white and green, and, and a, little, a little yellow. Yeah, the, yeah, I was going to say the logo is yellow. <clears throat> and so, um, also, the Masters is one of the hardest tickets in sports to get to actually go really? and watch the Masters. Very difficult uh, to accomplish, huh. unless you have barrels of money. 
or some kind of weird connection. Or, right. Yeah. So I have never been to the Masters. It's something I would love to do. The golf course there is supposed, you know, it's just beautiful. It's a piece of heaven on earth. But I had a friend who went, and he <laughs> went to the 2019 match. He actually has gone to three or four in a row. What's his hookup? How does he do that? Uh, he has barrels of money. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so he brought me back. Uh, in 2018, he brought me back a sleeve of golf balls with the master logos on them. Nice. And this is my hat that he brought me. And it says 2019 on one side. Still have the tag attached because it's official master's um, merchandise. And uh, there's a master's uh, logo inside the uh, the headband of the hat to show that it's authentic. And it, of course, has the master's logo. This is the hat that the caddies wear. Okay. Every caddy is wearing this exact hat in the masters. What do you got to do to be a caddy in the masters? You got to be a phenomenal. Well, the pros bring their own caddies. Okay. Gotcha. Anyway, describe uh, that logo for me. It's a, it's not cursive, but it's like, what would you call that font? It's not cursive, but it's uh, Mm. what? It's swirly. (laughs) It's a swirly. It's a technical term for those of you who are, who are not uh, graphic artists. I'm talking the yellow one below the, below the, Oh, it's the United States. It's a yellow United States with a golf hole down at Augusta, Georgia, where the masters is and a flag coming out of that golf hole. It's pretty slick. It's pretty slick. So we'll put a picture of this on our Instagram so you can see the hat. Um, I might even put it on my head for you. Uh, but I love this hat because it is authentic merchandise from the Masters, bought by a friend of mine for me who knows I love the Masters. And maybe one day my son Jonathan will send me to the Masters yeah. as a gift, a payback for all that I've invested in his <laughs> life and care. If you're waiting for one of your kids to shell out for you, <laughs> look elsewhere. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Yeah. Anyway. Not, hey. not because I don't want to. Oh, I'm I get hey, Some, Someone with the means. I understand. <laughs> All right. Here's our commercial. We'll be right back. Upstream is supported by the faithful members of the Upstream team, listeners who give monthly through Patreon. This podcast is just one part of the Jim and John ministry. They also write weekly blogs have published their first book, and are currently at work on more. Their desire is to produce transformational content, as well as offer encouragement and coaching to others. The dream is to see a movement of people who are integrating the work of Jesus into their daily lives, and who are joining Him on His mission to redeem and restore all things. Check out their website at jimandjohn.com, where you can learn more about the father-son duo and gain access to all they have to offer. If you would like to join the Upstream team, consider partnering with Jim and John on patreon.com slash jimandjohn. A link is also available on the homepage of their website. And remember, there's no H in John. Now let's join Jim and John for the home stretch of today's conversation. Welcome back. Thanks so much for listening. And as always, we appreciate it if you share episodes with friends or recommend or uh, and communicate with us. We'd love that. So uh, here's the deal. You're in the middle of just getting your butt kicked. Life is really hard. Mm-hmm. It's just hard. It's so hard and it's unfair. This is looking like the end of Rocky. Just it, the <laughs> just bam, bam. You're back on the mat again. Not sure you can get up one more time. Why is this helpful to know this and and uh, what can 
you say to that person. So let's, let's say that person's not you. That person's a friend of yours. Mm-hmm. How can you talk to them in a way that might bring some help right here to this, to this view of, of, dis, of discipleship, of discipline? Yeah. You know, cause here's what we do. We, we say, man, I am so sorry you're going through this and I'm going to ask God to remove it. I'm going to ask God to take that away and heal you, fix that. I'm so sorry. And everything is about escape. Everything is about bringing an end to the, to the hardship, which is great. We do need that. You know, man, let's, let's pray that this goes away as fast as possible, that there be resolution. Yeah. But that's, um, that's a little bit insufficient in my view for when you, for people who are actually in the middle of it. Yeah. Hey man, I'm going to sit here with you while we wait for the rescue helicopter to arrive, <laughs> um, which is a great thing, man. Yeah. Well, again, back to Job. That's it. his friends sit there and sit there with him in his in his ashes and his and his torn clothes for seven what? days. Yeah, a week without saying seven a word. days. They don't say a word, and that is the best thing they do. From there on, it's downhill. Once they start opening their mouth, it's over. Yeah. But here's the thing: you could say, well, that's kind of cruel to say to someone in the middle of their adversity. Hey, man. I want you to know that right now, God is ready to disciple you. This is what mm. would be encouraging to me, I think. Hey, um, you got, you, you know, you, you just lost a child. You've just got a diagnosis. Mm. Um, you just lost your job. Um, your spouse just walked out. I want to tell you, man, I'm with you. This would be my, this would be the way I would use this encouragement with someone. Sure. Hey, I'm here and, and I'm going to stay here. You're on the top of my prayer list. I'm going to pray for you every day and we're going to trust God through this. And I want to offer you one thought that God would like to enter into this pain with you and he'd like to disciple you through it. In other words, he'd like to help you figure out what you're going to do with all this pain. And he wants to help you figure out how to become the best version of you and the most God-covered person you could possibly be. There's some gold in the middle of this pain. For sure. And uh, I just want to encourage you to consider what might God do to disciple you right now. It's interesting to me as a side note that um, all the prayers in the New Testament, people are going to prison. They're being persecuted. Mm-hmm. Only one time that I can find do they pray that that persecution stop. Really? All the other prayers make us bold as lions in the middle of this suffering. Uh, make us courageous. Give us backbones of steel. Let us not bow down. Let us not be afraid. Let us march. Everything's about moving forward. And I think it may at first feel like if I say this to this person in their suffering, it's going to look like I don't um, recognize the intense pain. Right. But what you're offering is adding value to the pain and inviting them to see their heavenly father in this context with you. He's not, he hasn't left you. He's right here. And one of the things he wants to do is he wants to teach you how to be strong, how to get stronger, how to find peace Mm -hmm. in the middle of hell. He wants to prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies. Psalm 23. And these are learned things. And unfortunately you can't learn how to have peace in the middle of hell without going to the middle of hell. 
Yeah. And, and I think a lot of this relies on, um, relationship as the, as the foundation for this, right? So, you know, a guy that you talk to once every two months, he goes through something terrible. Don't show up and just drop him advice and then leave. This is, you know, this is, you have a friend, you have a real, real relationship. The, 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 there's something for this, this advice to sit on where he knows or she knows that you're, you know, you're not just imparting your divine wisdom on a suffering person that, that you're, you're, you know, you're there for them. But I think in general, this is part of the big theme of, um, of recognizing the difference of understanding between you and God, that the things that you want, even if God were to give them to you, would not achieve um, how his plan is looking already. He Mm -hmm. knows the factors, he's adapting to the factors, and things that are greater than would have happened otherwise are going to happen. And that's part of the faith of our, um, of of our faith in, in him. So like, um, when when you were talking about the uh, early church and they're praying not you know they're in prison all the time and they're not praying to just walk out like they do occasionally mm-hmm. um like even in the beginning of acts uh, i forget his name i think it's stephen he gets stoned to death outside right. the the walls and mm-hmm. he was they mentioned they talk about him like he was you know one of their one of the the best mm-hmm. that they had and uh and that stuff was just happening constantly and it wasn't like uh i don't know it wasn't faith shaking it wasn't um yeah, they weren't saying, instilling. where's God? Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. When Stephen's dead outside the the city, you know, it's not an issue of... Um, God let us down. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It, it is. It just, it is. Mm-hmm. And and, and they, I think they had the complete understanding that this would further the kingdom. One of the things that's helpful in that conversation, John, is that, um, and I say this to people who are really uh, wrapped around the axle of their pain mm. and feeling like they are uniquely um, attacked and um, that it, and, and here's what I mean. The saying is this: it's not happening to you; it's just happening. Gotcha. This so it's not personal, about, right? You know, exactly. Yeah. This isn't happening to you. It is, but it's just happening. It's just. It's not about you being singled out for attack uh, in the cosmic world. Sure. It's that attacks happen here, and the world is broken, and people are hateful, and people get hurt, and people that you trusted betray you. Uh, these things happen. So it's not happening to you. It's just happening. And so if you can lay the uh, the the um, trial, the adversity in the middle of the table and say, okay, let's look at this because it's not happening to you. It's just happening. So it's not almost like don't take it as an insult from. Yeah, because you're saying, how faith. could God do this to me? Right. Why is this happening to me? Because it happens to people. Yeah, because because of the world that we the planet we live on yeah i do want to point out you know you said you shouldn't offer this kind of advice to people you don't know really well have this relationship with and that's true and i would also say you don't offer this this isn't your lead right uh you know (laughs) you don't don't start the text with this (laughs) right you you suffer with them you 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 weep with those who weep and you mourn with those who mourn yeah and in your co-mourning and your co-weeping you invite them to consider something that's absolutely very real God is in fact with you right now. And there's something he'd like to do right now that you might not be aware that could happen. He'd like to disciple you in this. He'd like to help you become a person who actually flourishes in future storms. Yeah. He'd like you to become a person who finds peace and he wants to you to find it not in the future. He wants you to find it right now. 
And that to me is encouraging that, that there's something that can be built right here in your ashes as you sit here with broken shards of glass all around you. God already right now wants to start constructing your future. And I think that's an incredibly exciting prospect when you feel like, no, this is the end. Yeah. I think if I were to give a, a takeaway, it would it would be that that it is um that this is a uh really an act of love. That mm-hmm. this is this is to the benefit of you and to the glory of God mm-hmm. that he enters into these instances with you. I think when people who are uh um believers and something terrible happens and maybe they leave the faith or have questions, this was happening either way, man. Like you're you exactly. either you either know God or you don't. You're going through these things. And so you can either enter into it with God or or acknowledge that he's in there with you and go through this kind of process, this discipleship process and this um leaning process, or you can do it alone. Because really it is gonna happen either way and he loves you enough to be there with you. Mm-hmm. So um I don't it and it sounds again, this is to this is a general conversation. So, so I, 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 that sounds like a callous way to put it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right that it, that it is happening as a reality of the human existence as we know it. it that it is just a, um, you know, thing, things can suck sometimes. Yeah. I think, uh, I, I don't know if I've ever told this story on our podcast, um, which means I might have told it four times. <laughs> <laughs> but it's such a powerful story that uh, that happened to a friend of mine. So I, I've got this friend now, uh, 40 years, my friend. Mm. And um, he had had a traumatic event of his childhood, which I still do not know what it is. Um, it's that deep. He does not discuss it. Sure. But when we were in college, he went to see one of the college psych department professors, counselor, and he unpacked this to him. And, um, one of the things that in one of the sessions, the counselor had him, you know, just kind of sit back and close his eyes and go back to the event in his mind. And, uh, he had him describe the room. What's on the walls. Um, what are the lights like? Um, just really pausing, freeze framing the moment and describing the entire setting. Sounds intense. It's very intense. And he is describing what kind of, what do the carpets look like? And what are you wearing? And who's in there? And what are they wearing? And then he asked him after this long query into the moment, Jesus is in that room. Where is he? Tell me where Jesus is. And he began to cry. And he said, he's standing in the corner. And the counselor said, what's he doing? And he said, he's crying. I can hardly, I can't, I can't even tell the story without crying because yeah. it's such a powerful, he realized in that moment that God had not abandoned him, Man. but that God was in fact with him in that room while this terrible thing was occurring and that it broke God's heart just like it broke his. Yeah. And when you see that God, your father enters into your suffering with you. And from that point, he says, let's get through this together. Let's let's make the most of all of these moments and let it do for us what nothing else could do for us. It's a powerful thing. And it and even, you know, the what is it, the shortest verse in the Bible is is when Lazarus dies and Jesus weeps over him, mm-hmm. knowing 
that he's, he's going to raise him from the dead. Right, right. <laughs> so it doesn't matter even with the cosmic. Well, that's, that's the word of this episode. I think it's the third, third time I've used it. With the the incredible um, scope of his knowledge mm-hmm. and understanding, uh, and of what's going to happen afterwards, if, if God w- redeemed whatever terrible thing happened to your friend. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really matter because he knows the hurt and he knows the moment. Yep. And he's there in the moment. And even though I'm going to make something great out of this, it didn't make it hurt any less when right. it happened in real time. What a great God we serve, man. That is just... That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So any other takeaway for you, John, as we wrap this up? No, I think that's... Uh, I think that's all we've got. I feel emotionally drained. And I've, been, <laughs> I've just been coasting through this. Yeah. Uh, man, may the Lord bless you. And, and honestly, if you're in the middle of adversity and hardship and trial, our encouragement to you is you look around you because the Father's there. Jesus is there. And he is there to help you. And what he wants to do is, I, I don't know why this speaks so much to me, but he wants to disciple you in the middle of this and walk out of it with you. And for you. Yeah, for your good. Out, out yeah. of love from him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty amazing. Well, hey, thanks for listening. I hope this has been an encouragement to you. We would love to hear from you. Info at jimandjohn.com. No H in the John. Uh, Follow us on Instagram and Twitter and um, check out the website if you like, uh, jimandjohn.com. And as always, thanks for listening. Pass this on to a friend. If you got a friend who's in the middle of some adversity or coming out of some, maybe pass this on as an encouragement to them. And uh, we'd love feedback on the episode and uh, further uh, future episode suggestions would be great. Yeah. Uh, and you can reach us uh, on our Instagram page. You can uh, uh, private message us or on our website. There's a contact form. Mm-hmm. You can do that. Uh, and uh, yeah. And if you're new here, you can learn a lot more about us on the website. Kind of a uh, uh, mission statement. Who some, we are. Some blogs. What we're trying to do. Yeah. 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 But thank you guys so much for listening. And uh, we will see you next week.